You're listening to Tune Into Talent, the show that talks about the ever-evolving landscape of talent needs, exploring strategies and insights that drive innovation and growth. From hiring the brightest minds to nurturing exceptional teams, we're here to talk about how to unlock the full potential of your organization. Welcome to Tune Into Talent. I am your co-host, Alyssa Parr, Director of Talent Solutions in Talogy's Consulting Group in the Americas. I am here today with my co-host, Miriam McCallum, to have a discussion about an ever-growing and relevant topic that many leaders must face in their careers, company downsizing. Before we get into it, as a bit of background to myself, in my current role, I partner with many organizations to support the identification and development of their leaders through assessment and discovery exercises. My goal is to apply what we have learned through research of what is important as a leader to the discovery and insight process so they can best lead their teams, departments, and organization. This means preparing leaders for times of growth and excitement, as well as preparing leaders for times of change and hardship. Miriam, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, Elisa, it is lovely to be here on this podcast with you today. Um, in terms of my role, I actually have a new role in Telegy, and I'm now Director of Coaching Practice, which is actually a new dimension for Telegy also. And my role is to develop this practice initially in the UK, and then working with our coaching faculty across Europe, eventually Asia-Pac, and then eventually the Americas. My ultimate goal in developing the coaching practice is to enable every organization around the globe to access the value of coaching, to uncover human potential, to create meaning, aliveness, contribution, and belonging for everyone. This is my vision. So very similar to you, Alyssa, to prepare leaders to be who they really need to be, to be successful in the future as they steer their organizations into the unknown. Great. Well, I'm looking forward to our conversation. So taking us back to the, the topic at hand, downsizing. The news in the United States, at the very least, has been riddled with updates about company downsizing. Layoffs are really prevalent last year, and speculations suggest that they will continue to see this type of trend. Actually, according to one research study conducted by LHH, 77% of organizations are considering or undertaking layoffs. This leaves many employees with the possibility of facing that reality, which is kind of scary. We are noticing this is occurring most commonly in tech and finance industries. And this makes sense, especially during the pandemic, there was a ramp up of tech industries to accommodate the quarantine lifestyle and remote work trend. I know personally, I was prey to investing in more services like Netflix to um, have more pastimes during the, the quarantine lifestyle. But now that the pandemic is easing, companies are having to recalibrate. And that requires looking at the current staff that they have on board. According to some research by Challenger, Gray, and Christmas, one of the most common cited reasons for job cuts is the economic conditions. Another common reason is automation and artificial intelligence. So what this means is companies are really preparing for that uncertainty. They don't know what's to come and they want to make sure that they are set up for most success and looking at downsizing as one of those um, opportunities to make sure that they're, they're safeguarding against um, hardship. Miriam, what have you heard about the situation over by you? 
So it's, uh, it, it's, it's a little less obvious here until you start looking at it and very similar actually, Alisa, but we've had a, a lot of issues around here that are making it difficult for businesses center around, of course, the war in Ukraine, uh, the conflict in the Middle East, all kinds of cost cutting, streamlining, and exactly as you've identified in the, in the United States, the tech and banking sectors are particularly affected here with job losses being announced in January this year in particularly those particular sectors. Um, and we are also seeing the impact of artificial intelligence and exactly as you said, the post-pandemic reduction in need. So lots of job cuts announced in the media and reported by people like Reuters. And we are seeing redundancies. And interestingly, the, the Body Shop UK went into administration the day before yesterday. And it's caused all kinds of sadness and nostalgia among consumers. So uh, the consumers are being affected by these things too. Um, the Body Shop brand was a bit of a national icon in the 1980s. And it was born in, bought in 2017 by L'Oreal. But when this happened, apparently a lot of consumers felt as though it didn't really align with the original values and ethical stance of the business, which made a lot of consumers lose the original emotion connection and association with the brand. So we're seeing kind of multiple ways and reasons for um, redundancies, cost cut reductions, um, very similar to yourself. It's, it's, it's quite sad, I think. It is, it is quite sad. Now, taking this a step forward, it sounds like downsizing is a reality that leaders are going to need to face. The struggle is leaders don't get this type of training on how to manage through disruptions. Leaders can have a big impact on how successful it goes. And it's well known that downsizing can also have a direct impact on employee morale and productivity from the quote unquote survivors, those that are left with the company. So to add on to this point, Leadership IQ, a research and leadership training company, recently surveyed around 4,000 workers who remained employed after a corporate layoff. They found that 74% of these employees admitted that their productivity declined since the layoff. Additionally, 69% said that the quality of their company's product or service declined. So this puts even more burden on leaders to navigate company downsizing effectively to avoid some of these, these negative impacts. Before we get into our strategies that leaders can employ during these situations, I'm curious, Miriam, if you have ever been employed at a company where layoffs occurred? If so, what was your experience either as a leader or as a team member? Thank you, Alyssa. And yes, I have. And just listening to the impact there on reduction in productivity, it's uh, certainly something I've seen. And, and actually, the reasons I, I think are a bit more psychological. So I have experienced layoffs in my career several times. I've had a, quite a long career, um, but I've never had a situation where, where it affected my team leaders when I was the leader. So I haven't had that. But I have experienced this as a team member myself. And interestingly, my experience of, of, of these layoffs was initially relief, uh, a few, a sense of feeling safe. But after a short time, and I'm talking, you know, days here, two things emerged for me. And the first was a, 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 a big burden, burdensome feeling of guilt, which 
replace the relief and safety I had felt initially. Because while I was experiencing relief and safety, my colleagues were let go, they were made redundant. And so it felt unfair. And this felt much worse, you know, psychologically when the communication or the reason for the layoff was not clear or it didn't make sense. The second feeling was I started to question, you know, do, I, do I really belong here anymore? And is there more change to come? Can I trust this organization? Should I think about leaving too before I'm next for the chop? So again, this is because there was confusion, no real understanding of the reason for the layoffs. So we would hypothetically create reasons. And of course, I'm just thinking of all the time we're doing that. You can imagine now why I would imagine productivity probably fell. You know, our energy was elsewhere. So interestingly though, when communication is very clear and open and understood by all, then this makes it much easier easier to absorb. So, so I, I really think that communication is really, really key here. Thanks for sharing that experience. It really does make sense because if you don't have that clear communication, you go through that sense-making process and your truth might be different from the actual truth it is. So I would agree with you that communication is, is really important. Um, it also shows the, the big impact that a leader can have in navigating company downsizing. The leader's approach during the setback can really have that direct impact on productivity, as you mentioned, to, to have that clear focus on the work at hand, as well as morale, uh, making sure that you feel like you should still belong, as you, you also commented. We understand that the leader's role in downsizing efforts is very complex and involves many different facets. So today we want to focus on how leaders can best support the survivors of layoffs. This is not meant to discount their role in working with those that are negatively impacted by the layoff or in figuring out how to continue to lead with reduced resources. However, for the sake of time today, we want to focus on how leaders can best support employees who remain with the company during downsizing. We'd like to highlight three different strategies that we feel would be most impactful to leaders as they navigate through the setback. These include communication, compassion, and future focus. So let's unpack these one by one. We first want to start out by talking about the importance of communication. Downsizing is a time of uncertainty, ambiguity, and lots of nerves from everyone in the company. While a leader may not have all the answers, it is critically important that they share as much information about the situation as soon as they are able to. This is where that honesty, transparency, and openness and communication is incredibly important and will be appreciated by those around the leader. The best thing a leader can do is to share as soon as possible what they know, what they do not know, and when they might hope to get more information. And the goal here is to provide reassurance through information, but also not to give any sort of false hope because we may not know the entirety of the situation. I personally feel that the, what they do not know is most often what is missing in communications. And in my opinion, I appreciate when a leader is honest about not having all the answers and directly saying this. It provides a sense of, we're in it together and tells me that they aren't holding back information either. 
The other angle of communication that I want to mention is change management. Downsizing is a big change event and change is difficult for people to process. When they have a better understanding of why downsizing is occurring, it helps. This is a situation where I think the concept of two things can be true is very helpful. For example, our company is going through some layoffs because of the economy is very uncertain and we want to prepare ourselves to best handle any potential dips ahead. So I feel I'm struggling. It's a difficult situation. And we are also very optimistic about the strategy that we're putting into place because we feel like it will resonate with the marketplace and our initial feedback from customers suggests this as well. So we're hopeful. So this is recognizing that, yes, we're in a difficult situation, but we can also look forward to the future. This timely and honest communication that also provides an understanding of the why is one element that's going to be helpful to employees. So I'm curious, Elisa, this is, I think I'm hearing that the timely and the honesty and the thoughtfulness of this communication and the complexity of two opposing things being true at the same time, um, you know, really, really works. And I have a question for you. And this is about, so you've probably, we've all been talking a lot recently about what people are calling the squeezed middle. So these are the managers who are between, let's say, the senior execs and the higher ups and the actual front line. And they are the ones who often will need to manage with reduced resources, as you described earlier, but they're squeezed from all sides with reduced resources, as well as the communication challenges they have to face. So they don't have a lot of time to give, I think, thought and care to the communication, which is, I wonder if that's often why what we're seeing that's missing. What advice would you have for them, Alyssa? That's a really good question. And um, I would agree with some of your statements around that. I think middle managers are put in one of the most difficult situations here. They're feeling pressure from both sides, the, the frontline and the senior leaders. And in, in actuality, they can only communicate as much information that they've received from senior leaders. And they're not typically making those decisions, but they're closest to the frontline employees and they owe it to them to share information and reassure them of what's ahead. Um, also making their job difficult is that they're left with similar performance expectations with reduced resources, as, as you noted too. And that can really tank one's well-being and morale at work. And if a middle manager is feeling that way, how can we expect them to translate a sense of hope to their frontline employees? It'd be difficult. And so that's why these strategies that we're talking about today really needs to start at the top and work its way down. But to answer your question directly, let's get back to that. Um, I have two pieces of advice for middle managers during this time. Um, first, I think that they should advocate for themselves and their team. They need to, to push for as much information as they can get from their leaders and continue to stay on top of that and ensure that the communication continues to happen between the senior leaders and then they can translate it back to their frontline employees. The second piece of advice that I would have is take care of yourself. Research shows that middle managers can experience more negative health outcomes and conditions based on the situation that they're put into. And if you're not okay, if you are burnt out, it's going to be difficult for you to support your employees. And that's what it's all about. We need to make sure that the middle managers can best support their employees through this hardship. Wow. What, what brilliant advice. 
so advocate for themselves and the team, make sure that they're on top of all the information and take care of themselves because they're, they're going to need that. I think that's, I think that's wonderful. Brilliant advice, Elisa. Thank you. So empathy, compassion and psychological safety have been identified as really important when leaders are facing all the challenges we're talking about. Empathy really means to stand in another's shoes and communicate and acknowledge what it is like for others. It is that communication that says, I see you. I have a sense of what this must feel like for you. It's about being authentic and real. All the points that you've just raised just now, Elisa, particularly when managers are under pressure to actually be able to dial up that, that empathy. Compassion is critical because this is often what's needed most. Compassion for those who've lost their jobs, genuine compassion, particularly in times of many layoffs, which often occurs in times of cutbacks and recession. So people are going into a market that's very uncertain without a job, as well as compassion for those who will no longer have their friends as co-workers and colleagues, and may take on a lot more, may need to have to take on a lot more work as a result. And I think, too, it's important here to communicate hope for the future, um, which is a type of compassion in, in and of itself. So something you talked about earlier was let's be clear and honest about, you know, what's what's difficult and hard right now. But let's also have hope for the future and, and where we're going and to feel needed in that. And psychological safety underpins all of this. This topic is very well researched by um, researchers such as Amy Edmondson and others like Timothy Clark, for example. One definition of psychological safety for a team is it is a shared belief held by members of a team that it's okay to take risks, to express their ideas and concerns, to speak up, to ask questions, to admit mistakes, all without fear of negative consequences. So as a leader, you want to create a climate for psychological safety, for the empathy and the compassion to be felt and experienced by others in the team of the organization. So this helps to, to, to increase morale in as much as it can be during these times. Miriam, I love the idea of psychological safety that you're talking about because I can really see and envision if you have that sense of psychological safety within your team and your your leader really embodies that that safe environment, you do feel more comfortable even in uncertain times. I'm curious, what kind of advice would you give to leaders to help them create an environment of psychological safety? Oh, what a lovely question. And I think the first thing I would say is it's really important to remember that psychological safety is not about being nice. Um, it's about being clear and open. So I can give uh, about four strategies now as to how leaders can create this climate. So the first one is make it clear why employees' voices matter. So you're saying, you know, talk to me, be open, but make it clear, uh, why, is, why is that? For most people, it feels safe to hold back and to stay silent. It's easier for people to keep their ideas and their opinions to themselves. Explain clearly and specifically why you need and want to hear from them, why their viewpoint and input matters, and how it will affect the outcome of the challenge that you're facing together. 
The second thing is admit your own fallibility. This means showing some vulnerability. For example, letting people know that you need their help, you don't have all the answers. Even sharing with them how you have learned from your own mistakes and demonstrating what you have learned. This paves the way for others. It's important to model the behavior you want to see in your team and also to normalize vulnerability. So this includes um, things like being respectful, open to feedback, and willing to take risks. Number three is explicitly request input. So it's all very well to say, I want to hear your voices. I want to hear what you've got to say, but actually ask explicit questions. Because remember, people prefer to stay silent. So what are you seeing? What are your thoughts on this? Where do you stand on this idea? So asking very specific questions. And then the fourth one is about how you respond. You may not like what you hear. So when you are, you are creating psychological safety, when you invite people to speak up, so be careful if they speak up defensively, which they might. When you ask for input and people speak up, be appreciative and respectful. They may be defensive. You can replace your own feelings of defensiveness or blame with curiosity. You know, I wonder why they're saying that. Be open to the thoughts and ideas of others. You don't have to agree with them, but you can allow that openness. So some That's ideas there. That's some great advice, Miriam. I, I, I really appreciate what you mentioned about like the vulnerability piece in particular, because that's really difficult for, for us as humans and also so leaders to put us into that situation. But if we demonstrate that vulnerability, like you said, it does give them a sense that it's okay to, to, to feel this way and to make mistakes. And people are going to be more open to having some of those conversations. And when you, you do ask for that that open feedback from them, they'll be more likely to, to express it um, and they might have some really great ideas that y'all didn't think about originally. So thank you so for sharing true. that. So true. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, let's move on to the last strategy. So now that the leader has communicated openly with empathy, it's now time to inspire employees to that future vision of the company, while at the same time acknowledge the current reality empathetically. One of the best things that I've seen done in these situations is to communicate the vision and share how the team is involved in creating that vision and working towards the success of the company. And that's the really critical thing of making sure that the connection is there between the vision, the goals, and themselves. So this is showing that they are a valuable asset to the company and that they can have a direct impact on the company's future success by what they are doing. The other thing that we need to remember is that this is a journey. It's not an isolated event. Most people don't rebound from these events instantaneously. And as leaders, we need to be mindful of the effects that this will have on teams' well-being. So as you continue to talk about that future vision, also make sure to have check-ins with them. Remind them of their worth. Make the connections between what they're doing and the company's goals on repeat. So if I had to sum this up, I would suggest leaders acknowledge the facts, but be hopeful for the future. And you've heard Miriam and me talk about this uh, kind of uh, throughout, throughout our conversation today of 
you kind of have to, to state that the information, but also be very optimistic as, as best as you can. Um, and the language and the behaviors of that leader will help the employees to come along with them and, and prevail, hopefully. That's very, very inspiring, Elisa. That really is. And just wondering if, if there is something um, that you have seen to be effective when trying to inspire purpose towards the vision during difficult situations like these. That's a that's a good question. Um, I think the the biggest one for me that I I've seen to be effective is some element of of group brainstorming. And and bear with me when I'm when I'm talking about this, but group brainstorming in a sense that you get together with your team and you try to generate some ideas of things that the team is doing to support the vision or things that they could do to better support the vision. And this kind of gives them the sense that what I'm doing is actually meaningful. What I'm doing is actually working towards that vision. And it's also tying in some of those elements of hopefully you've created that psychologically safe environment and creating an opportunity for people to share their ideas and contribute to um, the conversation. And by default, this group brainstorming is also going to help to encourage teamwork. So it's going to create a, a safer environment, an environment where people feel um, like they belong, but it also helps to make that connection of, yeah, this is what I'm doing day to day, and I can see how this is directly impacting our company goals or our bottom line. So that would be my advice. I think it's I think it's wonderful listening to you describing that, where people can see the impact that they're having, and they can see what they're doing is making a difference with these group brainstorming and team teamwork. That's fantastic, Elisa. Well, I um, have so enjoyed. Um, talking to you today, Elisa, and I'm thinking back to the experiences I had during layoffs and thinking now, what a difference it would have made to me if these three strategies had been more visible. And I think the key here is often to think about how this might feel like over communicating. You know, we're talking about how we communicate the honesty, the um, the bad news, as well as the hope, the compassion, the empathy, the psychological safety, the future focus, letting people see how they connect to the vision um, and, and, and understand the impact that they are having, um, the check-ins regularly. This sometimes might feel um, a bit like almost over-communicating, um, but this is what is needed during these emotional and challenging times. And I, I firmly believe that this intentional, mindful communication is so, so critical during layoffs and downsizing. And that message of hope framed well will lead to better organizational health and success for the future. Thank you so much, Elisa, for sharing with us today your insights and thoughts on such a challenging topic. I believe these strategies will really make a difference. And I believe that that is exactly what we need. Thank you also to our listeners. It has been a pleasure speaking with you today. For more information about Talogy, visit Talogy.com. You can follow us at Talogy underscore global on Twitter and on LinkedIn, just type Talogy into the search bar. Thanks for listening to Tune Into Talent. We'd love for you to hit that subscribe button.